Hi, y'all. This is Kristen Chenoweth. Hi, I'm Gloria Stefan. This is Sarah Bareilles. Hi, I'm Patty Lapone. This is Lynn Manuel Miranda. You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchases, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Welcome to StageCraft, Variety's theater podcast, bringing you backstage and behind the scenes with the stars and creators of the hottest shows on Broadway, off-Broadway, and beyond. I'm your host, Gordon Cox. On this episode of StageCraft, I'm talking to the playwright Lucas Nate. He's best known for A Doll's House Part 2, his sequel to the famous Ibsen play, which won Laurie Metcalf a Tony in 2017 and went on to become one of the most produced plays in America. He grabbed Broadway's attention again just last spring with his play Hillary and Clinton. But at the same time, he's also been producing a steady output of highly theatrical new work off-Broadway and on stages around the country with shows like The Christians, Red Speedo, and a public reading of an unproduced screenplay about the death of Walt Disney. Coming up next year, his autobiographically inspired show Dana H. plays The Vineyard. But before that, he's got a ghost story to tell us in The Thin Place, now running at Off-Broadway's Playwrights Horizons. Lucas is in the studio with me to talk about questioning what we know, mental remapping, and why in horror, less is more. Hey, Lucas. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for having me. Um, so I feel like it was a few years ago now that you first told me that you were interested. It was probably around the time of maybe Doll's House Part Two that uh, you were interested in exploring like a ghost story or a spooky story on stage. Is this it? Yeah, this this is my version of a horror play, <laughs> um, which is to say it's not exactly a direct path to horror. Um, it's me thinking about what scares me more than anything else. And I think the thing that makes me really anxious is the thought that, well, there's it's, it's very hard to know something. Mm-hmm. It's very hard to see the world, assess what's going on, and make a conclusion without other thoughts getting in the way. Do you have a sense of what sort of inspired your uh, thinking along those lines in terms of uh, your interest in horror or that particular topic? Um, it, it, I mean, the, uh, I mean, a whole bunch of uh, influences kind of collide on this play. Um, everything from the short stories of Brian Evanson um, to there's definitely a, the play's a little bit of a, a an homage to Wally Shawn, mm-hmm. as in many respects, I think he's one of the best horror writers for the stage. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, there's a little bit of uh, late Ibsen 
floating around in there. A couple little winks and nods at him. Right. When when Ibsen was sort of playing around with the line between the literal and the metaphor and and what happens when you start to kind of confuse the two. Right. Um, so yeah, that's, I mean, there's so many different things swirling around, but those are a couple of them. And do you believe in ghosts? I have no evidence that ghosts exist, okay. <laughs> right? Right. <laughs> which yeah. I think is sort of like the, the, that's, that's sort of one of the ideas floating in the play is, well, okay, just check your beliefs, like really kind of question, where are you getting that thought from? Mm. Um, so I, I would say that I, I've not getting the thought that you don't believe in ghosts. Well, I any thought just just you know starting at the baseline of well I haven't seen anything that makes me think that they necessarily exist. Right, right. And uh, uh, I mean I'm 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 open to <laughs> seeing something that that might convince me, but uh, there's always you know it's funny I I got very interested in how people tell stories of the paranormal. Right. And. Uh, there are a number of them in this play. Yes, that, yeah, yes, and, that are told to us. Yeah, and and uh, there, I always just sort of have a question of, okay, to what degree are you remembering what happened exactly? Um, because you watch a magic trick and you ask somebody what happened, the likelihood is they're going to misremember what happened in the magic trick. Right. Uh, magic tricks are designed to make you misremember what you saw. Right. And uh, sometimes these. Uh, paranormal experiences uh, function in a similar way. Mm. Um, and then, you know, there are times where somebody will describe something and I'll, I'll say, okay, that's one possible explanation. There's another possible explanation. Mm. One is completely boring. The other is really interesting. Mm. And we all kind of agree that the really interesting one is a lot more fun. Right, right. And, uh, but I'm very suspicious of anything that's... Uh, that's too much fun. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and did you find it easy to tell, to sort of create that atmosphere of eeriness on stage? Is this stage particularly suitable to this kind of uh, mood and story? I, I think so. I, 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 I uh, in fact, in, in a lot of cases, I, I found myself pulling back a little bit. Um, there are definitely without giving away anything. Pulling back from the scariness of, or the... Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, that, that it, it, I mean, the, the principle that I sort of discovered is um, it's, it's better when you show less. Mm -hmm. It's yep. better when you kind of plant the thoughts in people's minds and then walk away from it because yeah. people will, 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 will run with it if you give them the room to. I, uh, this, we'll do this after uh, we turn off the mics, but I uh, had... I was convinced I was going to see a thing in a certain moment and you, you did not a single thing with it. And, that I, and I totally convinced myself of that it had nothing to do with uh, you had sort of planted the seed for maybe a thing might happen here and it's going to be really terrifying. And I filled that all in. I've got had a whole event happen in my head. Um, it didn't happen, but yeah. it was scary waiting for it. And, and, and there was certainly uh, it, Humana when we did it, mm. we did a little bit more there, yeah. and then I. This just... is the Humana uh, Festival of New Place in Louisville, and that or was that earlier this year or the year before? It was, uh, earlier this. It year. was this year, yeah. yeah. Right. And and at Humana, we played around with showing a little bit more, and mm. I just felt like it was cheating. Right. Like it, there, one of you know talking about influences. Um, uh, 
very early on in making this play, I started collaborating with Steve Schiffo, who's a magician uh, that I've known for quite some time, and people will know his work if they've seen Annie Baker's Antipodes, uh, oh, okay, food yeah. just sort of appearing out of nowhere, right. or the object lesson, uh-huh. or um, right. and then we we had worked together on my play about Walt Disney at Soho Rep. And, oh wow! Um, okay, so that was several years ago now. Yeah, right? and yeah. I've I've known Steve since college. Yeah. We were undergrads at NYU back in the late nineties. So, um, and we had been looking for an excuse to work together again. And when I started thinking about this play, I thought, well, I want to bring in Steve. And he started sending me all of these. I I actually am a a big magic geek and uh, uh, own a lot of magic books. But he sent me even more specifically about um, how to do your own seance. Mm. And um, uh, uh, I, I believe it was Eugene Berger who who's a great Chicago magician who passed away about a year ago, um, who had this principle of, we all know that we're going to build to the moment in a seance um, where you, you, you plunge people into darkness. And, and uh, uh, he said, everything leading up to that is just priming the audience for the moment where you send them out to sea. And and if you do your job right, they'll just run with it. And right. you you actually don't need to, the the magician doesn't need to do that much. Right. He's like, if you're really disciplined, you won't even do anything. And uh, so I took that as a kind of a challenge. Right. Well, that was actually my next question: is what you found kind of the biggest challenge of creating or maintaining that atmosphere? Um, you know, it, I I'm very. If you look at my plays prior to this one, all of my plays are essentially argument plays. They're, mm-hmm. they're, they, they propose an idea, and then someone comes and dismantles it, and, and then more points of view are added to the mix. And um, uh, there's, a certain deg- uh, there's a certain degree to which I'm putting ideas in conversation with no resolution always, right? Mm-hmm. Like I kind of... but. Nonetheless, I do explain a lot <laughs> in my plays, <laughs> and that was the biggest. That was the that was the thing I kept on thinking about while working on this play. Is I would have a desire to explain something or teach a lesson in a particular moment, and horror isn't really about teaching lessons. It's right. about um, unraveling the thread showing the frayed ends of, of an anxiety right. and uh, giving voice to something that, 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 is, that is actually really hard to resolve. Mm. Um, and so I had to sort of really discipline myself not to want to let the play psychoanalyze itself as it's happening, especially when things start to get scarier. Right, yeah. This leads me into uh, another question that I had for you, which is kind of about your overall sense of what is theatrical and what interests you in plays. You talked about uh, sort of argument plays. Um, And I do feel like a lot of the plays I've seen of yours, there is always a sense of almost sometimes a presentational sense. You know, there's microphones. There's always an awareness that we are in a space that is a theater and theater is being made. And there is an audience and we are often addressed directly as in this play, actually. Um, like, Like, I'd rarely see from you the kind of fourth wall, like there's a scene up there that is trying to be thoroughly realistic and would happen with or without us watching. And uh, So what's important to you when you put something on stage and how do you 
what is it that hooks you as a theatrical idea? Yeah, I, 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 I think of um, uh, plays are plays are always engaging to some degree in an act of I'm going to sound really pretentious here an act of mental remapping. Right, you walk into a theater, and it doesn't matter if it's the most verisimilitudinous set or if it's a bare stage. Um, there's a the, the play has a moment where it's teaching you. I want you to accept that A is B, and and a play is always teaching you all these rules uh, about what the 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 literal things on stage equal in our world. Okay. And I get, I I think there's something really exciting about the 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 verisimilitude in a set where it's like, oh my god, they recreated that on stage, and I'm gonna do one of those. Oh, I'm okay. Gonna, I, I I have one. It's just not. It's it's not finished yet. Okay. But <laughs> I had to put it over to the side this past year, but because um, I do want to experiment with that. But I I do find it very exciting when when the gap between what you're literally looking at on stage really doesn't match what the story is telling you. Mm. Um, that I I'm excited by how that feels mentally. Like it, it mm-hmm. it's 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 and and there can come this point where it's a little bit like uh, uh, spinning plates. You're you're trying to manage a bunch of rules about the world and the space in your mind, and and uh, and thin place is one where I'm really messing around with that quite a bit, right. and then at times breaking it, right? Uh, uh, break breaking the arrangement of objects. And when. Ideas come to you, do they come to you as subjects you want to explore or this act of sort of remapping, an idea for a way to sort of remap something on stage that you are interested in sort of poking around at? Well, I'll put it this way. When I go ahead and write the play, it's because maybe three different ideas in different categories come to me. So a theatrical conceit plus a character plus an argument. Right. That okay. when when I get when I get maybe three or five ideas in different categories that all seem related, mm. that that's the point where I feel I'm ready to write the play. I'll have more with Lucas right after the break. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. And we're back with playwright Lucas Nath. And... You've got another new play coming to New York. Um, that's it's been done in L.A. and Chicago. Yeah, um, and it's called Dana H. Uh, and that has a totally unexpected theatrical gambit to it. That's one I don't think I've ever seen on stage. The lead actor doesn't speak. If I have this right, I haven't seen it yet. Um, does not speak and lip syncs to a recording of a real person who is also your mother reciting the story of a traumatic time in her life or an event that happened to her is that 
Yeah. Does, that's, did I that's describe that it. right? Yeah. Yeah. It, it started as a commission from the civilians and, um, Oh, which is a very sort of documentary based theater group. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. And, and, uh, Steve Cawson, the artistic director, um, uh, uh, interviewed my mother for several days hmm. and um, and recorded them presumably recorded yeah. it and the the play is is uh, composed from many days of interviews mm -hmm. um, cut together into about 73 minutes and 12 seconds right. <laughs> it's, a, it's the type of play where you know down yeah, to you the sure second do, how right? long it is <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, uh, and it was just this idea that I mean the the story something that happened about 20 years ago while I was a freshman in college at, at NYU. Um, the, the story... So you were not around for the story? Was... I was around for parts of it. Okay. I was around for parts of it. And, um, uh, but I, I the, 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 the story sort of quickly becomes something where I think people have the experience of feeling like it's, it's kind of incredible. It's mm -hmm. kind of... Uh, 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 I mean, the stuff that happens is just unreal in many respects, and yet it was. And uh, I knew that if I, my mother was very interested in me writing a play about the event. And I mean, that's obviously one of my questions: is how <laughs> does your mother feel about? <laughs> she wanted it before I did, and I, mm. I, I, my question, you know, going back to where this train of thought even began, was like, well, we got a story, we have a character. I, I don't have a form for it. And then the thought occurred to me that the idea of, of it being um, a monologue uh, that's lip synced seemed right because anytime I thought about um, writing a reenactment play right. or a dramatization of it, people would watch it probably and think, well, okay, that part's written, that part's made right. up. Right. Um, and it became, I, I thought it was really important to not have that question as you're watching mm -hmm. it, and and so it it being a uh, uh, uh an actual recording that you're listening to yeah. it's it's her actual voice that seemed to answer the question and so that's what that's what that form allowed you as a writer to do what does it allow what have you found that it allows the actress to do playing your mother yeah so the the actress is uh uh deidre o'connell yep. Um, She's a great actress. She's extraordinary. Been seen by many, many in many, many off-Broadway shows and Broadway shows. And uh, it it's it's funny. Like it it she, her experience of it is she describes it as a little bit like being in a bubble. Um, uh, the 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 method that we're using um, means that she has feeds going into both ears and. Uh, uh, so she can't even hear the audience. Um, and then we have wow. a bright light on her, so she can't even see the audience. And uh, uh, so she, she, her experience of doing it is kind of this strange channeling. Mm. Um, she she <laughs> describes the play as a little bit like having a brain tumor. Um, I'm not fully sure what that means, yeah. but yet when she said <laughs> it, I was like, yeah, I get it, I get huh. it. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, and... Does her performance recall your mother to you? Like how much does it resemble? Yeah, it's well. So, so uh, she we there was a question about whether or not she should meet my mother even before we went into production. Right. And she did not. Um, oh, okay. She just relied on the recording. Uh, 
she syncs every breath that's on the recording. Every single, it's funny because my mother, when she recorded it, was wearing these jangly bracelets. Mm. So you actually hear the bracelets in the recording. So Dee Dee moves her arms every time she hears my mother move her arms. And and because she's sort of, um, again, going back to the breath, because she's synced so much even just with her breath, she makes the same mouth movements my mother makes. She makes a lot of, it's, it's this very, eerie thing um it's a it's a different type type uh, different type of uh seance um yeah. act. Uh, <laughs> yeah. this is my this is my season of seance plays. <laughs> and what you you mentioned that your mother wanted you to write a play before you did what was it that convinced you to write this play was it the form coming to you or it, it was the form and, and also steve cawson you know okay. when 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 he came to me and and said that he he thought I would be a good match for documentary theater mm. um, and we had a really good conversation about it I thought yeah this is the way to enter this play um, this is this is the way to do it and why did you want to that's a good question why did I want to I mean I think the answer to that sort of changed as I worked on it yeah. um, I think I think it started off as a feeling of obligation almost you know it's sort of like I, I felt like I had kind of left my mother out of my playwriting career and that I wanted to bring her along and and she wanted to come along and and uh, so I think it started off as a feeling of obligation and then as I got into it, the other thing that the lip syncing allows that that my, the way my mother tells the story, the vocal intonation is not obvious. It's not, if you were to hand the actor the script for that play and say, perform it, what, what an actor would likely do would be completely reasonable and not match my mother's tone of voice, which, you know, she's describing the most horrific events and laughing her way through them. Or she's sort of weirdly kind of flat and expressionless at points where uh, you would expect she would be more expressive. And um, the, 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 I, I find it, uh, you know, I'm, I, I think sometimes we expect a certain kind of quote unquote performance from people who have experienced trauma. And if they don't perform, if they don't express themselves the, in a way that matches our received notion of trauma or grief, then they're not credible. And so this is also my attempt to kind of maybe make a tiny, tiny, tiny dent in helping to reprogram mm. our sense of what that experience could look like. Mm. Um, because, you know, it is hard. It, a lot of n received notions about grief and trauma are reinforced by storytelling and performance. Mm. And um, if, you, if, you, if you were to act a certain way in a play people might say oh that's kind of a you really didn't get the emotion of that character or you know like you'd get right. that critique so here i just say well i've got the actual document so you yeah. can't you can't you can't uh, con uh you, ca you can't um contradict that right how hard how hard was it to work on a story this like this that's uh that was so close to you um 
Uh, the actual work was a little like um I I mean it 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 was it was hard at points but not at the points that you would expect, mm-hmm. right? The writing of it was just story math. And by the writing of it is that editing basically? So it's yeah, like taking her extempor- extemporaneous interviews and kind of assembling them. Is yeah, that... yeah. And it's it's it the the way I talk about it it's it's heavily edited, mm-hmm. right? Everything in it's true. It's just that there's a lot of crafting of it because the 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 way she tells it, you know in the in the transcripts she moves all over the place and and um, it's it's fairly freeform mm. and uh, uh, so I've kind of composed it into a tighter narrative um, and so th- that just became the the quote unquote writing of it right. um, became about story math. Yeah. And and um, portray you know make making sure that the 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 character is legible in 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 the structure, right. and that you have a reasonable sense of why she does what she does when she does it, and and all of that basic element of craft. And then, but like it was it it, it was being in production. I think is when it kind of. That's when I started to have lots of nightmares. Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. that's when it that's when it starts to sneak up on you. Yeah. All your plays, because all your all your plays are sort of rooted in a theatrical kind of conceit. They all seem so specifically geared for the stage. Is writing for film or TV a thing that interests you? I I get I uh, I'm I'm very fortunate to get a lot of interest from film and TV folks. Um, I've not yet found the thing that I really want to do there Mm -hmm. and um, it's funny uh, Dana H did partially ruin me for theater because I get to control (laughs) every single breath (laughs) in that play (laughs) and that level of control is is deeply satisfying (laughs) I got I got the taste of editing (laughs) right yeah Um, and and uh, uh, so I, I I do kind of think that that screen is maybe a little more on the horizon. I think I would I would likely steer towards writing and directing. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, uh, you know it's it's tricky because with television, that's potentially many many years um, that you're committing to something. If you're if if it all goes great, right. and so that's just made me really really picky about. What's what's a world I want to live in for that long? Sure. Yeah. And do you have you considered writing a musical? It's come up a couple of times. Um, Cesar Alvarez, um, writer of, uh, he wrote a musical called Futurity. Oh yeah. Um, mm-hmm. We'd been talking about doing something for a while, and and uh, we still may do it. Um, mm. But uh, 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 yeah. Beyond that, I haven't considered it. Yeah, I was going to say, is there a band for whom you would like to write the jukebox musical? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> It'd be like Anthony and the Johnsons. Would okay. probably be my... <laughs> Great. <laughs> Sign us up. Woodkid or, you yeah. know, right. bombastic, operatic. Right. Yeah. Were you always a writer growing up? When did you f- figure out that writing was a thing that you wanted to do yeah i i i really didn't like writing for much of high school um i was uh 
really um I I I had a lot of anxiety about commas. <laughs> didn't know how they worked exactly. There are some like ambiguous rules about commas. So oh. I was much more of a math and science person. Mm. I liked equations. Yeah. Um the ambiguity of of words made me really nervous and and any any type of standardized testing that involved multiple involved language and multiple choice I could I did ve- I was very poor at because I could figure out an answer that worked for every choice so um, this is not unlike the point of this play that yeah <laughs> I know right, so, right now. Okay. so so that so what what so in in high school it was sort of a a, a problem and then um, in college uh, I was I was on the pre med track. I was gonna I was gonna be a doctor. That was my plan. Um, and where was this? Was NYU? NYU so undergrad at NYU. Okay, yeah. yeah right. And um, in my first year there, I had a we had all had like th- this class called writing the essay, which was the mandatory freshman essay writing class. And my teacher was Megan Abbott, mm. who's a novelist who wrote "You Will Know Me." She writes on the Deuce now. Right. But at that point, she was getting her um, uh, she was getting her uh, PhD in in literature, if I'm not mistaken. And she sort of encouraged me to. Hmm. Uh, uh, she she had, she had told me that I was a good writer, which was was a bit of a shock to me. And at what point in there was theater a thing that you discovered? So I always was interested in theater to some degree. I did I did drama club in high school okay. and I, I I did do musicals I was in little shop I played Seymour excellent um, <laughs> there's <laughs> tape somewhere <laughs> of that um, and uh, uh, I I would dabble I would I would I would I would read um, like the I would I would read those play collections that you could get at the local bookstore like the Sam Shepard anthologies or uh, I would read a lot of Albee and so I would kind of dabble in a notebook, and mm-hmm. and those were my first attempts at playwriting. And that would have been around college. Well, it was high school that before. I was okay. sort of I was dabbling, but I. Yeah. But the funny thing is, I didn't really consider that writing. That yeah. was something else. Okay. Um, and and uh, 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 you know, it 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 because I think I think the thing that intimidated me about essay writing, for example, was that it all had to be my voice. Mm-hmm. And the the uh, the play I get to divide up with different voices. Right. When you were starting out as a writer, what was it that you were sort of driven to explore in your writing, and has that changed over the years? I I still think um, all of my plays keep coming back to uh, from then and and through now um, some version of what do you know, how do you know it, and are mm. you sure you know it. Um, <laughs> If you do like one of those word clouds with any of my plays, K-N-O-W is the most common word that shows up. Okay. Uh, or one of the <laughs> yeah. most common. Okay is probably the most common. Yeah, <laughs> sure. Okay. Yeah. Um, but, uh, uh, and, and I think that's remained true. Mm-hmm. Uh, even, even, even through, I think, some of the stuff I kind of vaguely remember writing in a little scrapbook in high school. Right. You've got Dana H coming up. What's next for you after that? 
I, I have I have a n- number of commissions that I'm delinquent on, so <laughs> and and half finished plays that that I'll... realism one that realistic one that you told yeah, us about. Yeah, yeah, my 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 uh, attempt at that, and mm. and uh, uh, a couple of others. Um, so I think I need to once I'm I'm through the spring, I'm going to go back and look at uh, what's what's in my pile and mm. see. If I still feel as strongly about it now as I did then, is there a thing that you hope to do on stage or a conceit you want to explore on stage that you haven't gotten to do yet? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I have. I have a. I have a long list okay. of things <laughs> that are right. kind of, uh, be it forms I want to try, or even just. Sometimes it'll even start with a set design that I have an idea for. I'm like, okay. this is a really interesting idea for a set. What can I do with it? Right. Um, but it'll 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 stay on the back burner until I have other pieces that make it kind of pop. Right. Right. Um, well, we look forward to hearing your next ghost story or uh, whatever theatrical form you uh, explore next uh, when we next see you. Thank you, Lucas. Thanks for doing this. Thank you for having me. That was Lucas Nath, whose play The Thin Place is at Playwrights Horizons through January 5th, and his other new show, Dana H., begins a run at Off-Broadway's Vineyard Theatre in February. If you like what you've heard on this and other episodes of StageCraft, don't forget to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and subscribe on your podcatcher of choice. Next week's episode will come a little later in the week than usual, but it'll be worth it because I'll be talking about the new movie adaptation of Cats. Until then, see you at the theatre. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theatre Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theatre professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theatre community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theatre professionals, search the RISE Theatre Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheatre.org. That's theatre with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.